everybody. Welcome to this very special edition of the Film Pigs podcast. Uh, we're going to get to know one of the Film Pigs intimately. Who is we, it? Who is it? Who is it? Oh, wait, wait. We, we've already gotten to know you, oh. Steve Falk, uh, so it's not going to be you again. Damn it. Um, but we know Steve Falk. I think we know a lot about Steve now. And uh, it's time to learn about Steven Skelton. Oh, my God. Should I take off my pants now? Or? No, no, no. That's after the podcast. Um, so, uh, according to Steve Skelton's Wikipedia page, uh, he was born a while ago That's in accurate. a state citation needed, <laughs> a state called Indiana, 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 Indiana. Yeah. Can you, it's, it's a state named after all the indigenous people that were killed to make room for all the white people. Oh, right, right, right. So that's a nice place. Where is it located in the country? Oh, it's in the Midwest. It's in the Midwestern area, America's heartland. Oh, okay. And, uh, and it was, uh, is it just called Indiana or do they have townships? Was there a town? Oh well, the, yeah, it's it's. You uh, grew up It's in... just a town. It's a town called Bloomington. Bloomington, which is uh, about ninety minutes, ninety more. Well, no, it's not about ninety miles. I'm about forty, forty-five minutes south of uh, uh, Indianapolis, the capital, the state capital. Oh, okay. Well, I really that doesn't help. I have no reference points. In Indianapolis anywhere. is in the middle. It's in the middle. Okay, that's. And uh, so you grew up there. You went to uh, uh, you, your formative years were all in that one town. Yeah, Bloomington. In it's Bloomington. The, the hometown what is of, the uh, population uh, there? Um, God, when I lived there, it was probably about uh, I don't know about twenty, thirty thousand. Oh, so it's there. not it's not a small well, it's town. College town. It's, it's, it's college, it's town. college Indiana town. University. That's where. The oh, okay. Is. And did you go? Uh, did you go to Indiana University? I did. Oh, I okay. absolutely did. Yeah. And and you majored in uh, uh, the incredibly useful theater and. Drama major. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you're essentially an acting major, or was the uh, focus of the program on acting? Or it was, was it an a... acting and directing focus. Um, oh, okay. it, was a, it was it was kind of a split. Okay. You could go you could go pure acting or acting and directing, but I right. did both. And then you uh, after that you moved to Los Angeles. I did, did move to stay, Los Angeles. Did you stay yeah. in Indiana for any time after you graduated? Or not, you... not really. I mean, like I think just maybe like a month or two after graduation, because um, I think I moved. I think I came out in fall of '95. Okay. Uh, so that's yeah. I graduated in '95. And then you started doing. Some... I can't. I can't prove that um, because I have lost my diplomas and all my credentials. So um, you just have to take my word for it that I the, have your a citation education. needed. <laughs> well, you seem smart. Seem, yeah. It's important to seem things. Yeah, it's seeming is is <laughs> seeming is everything. Um, it should so, be on your tombstone. <laughs> and you moved out of here, and you seems, uh, seems dead. You started doing theater, and right? Yeah, yeah. No, actually, when I came out, um, uh, I moved out with uh, some friends. That I'd gone to school with, some that were already out here a little bit, um, and we, in the in the 90s, had a, a little theater company that we did uh, plays and such in, um, a, a roving theater company, it didn't have a home, so it was whenever, you know, we could put together uh, some shows and some money to make some cheap 99-seat theater shows and uh, rent out some space where we could find it. What were you called? We were called the Subterranean Theater Company. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, and then and and then you joined the Film Pigs because of one of the other guys in Subterranean. Yeah, well, yeah, that we know, uh, uh, Stephen uh, Rob Day. Stephen Rob Day, uh, who's I uh, went to school with, who is another Indiana native, mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah, he knew you know you guys, 
through what the Copperview, I uh, guess, is where Copperview you guys Theater first came company, into yeah. contact, and yeah. um, and so kind of came into contact uh, with Film Pigs through him because you just needed help or something, and and you're, I was young and had nothing better to do with my time. <laughs> And you, what was your first uh, Film Pigs uh, show? I'm trying to remember because I think I, I think I, I think I just helped out running a couple of shows, and then it was probably yeah, you like, directed a couple of shows, yeah. Right? But that was I think like Titanic or something was probably right around when I was performing. Okay, if I remember, what did right. you play in Titanic? A lot. I don't even remember because because we, we every show was we, like there was a different cast member that couldn't be at yeah, the show. Yeah, we were all very drunk. That was and not drunk. a great yeah. show. <laughs> so yeah, it was, that was uh, kind of a, a lot of multiple ro- li- roles lived up to the name, metaphorically speaking. Um, so you uh, and then a sort of your um, crowning achievement as a film pig was playing, I would say, baby. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot dancing. of that was because, you know, I spent about uh, six months in the Catskills mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. researching and... Uh, and learning how to jump into a man's arms. And, and hold watermelons, carry them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Was... And, so, uh, and I lost a lot of weight for that role. Uh, oh, okay. So you could fit into that dress. Yeah. 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 yeah you the, look, the, you yeah, look good. Dress, yeah. You look good. No, in I, felt, I, felt, I felt pretty. All right. Well, now that we understand uh, how you got here... Um, let's get into the hard hitting, uh, pig six, the questions that everybody's dying to know about out there. It almost sounds like a lottery. It is. It is. It is a lottery. So, um, uh, the first question is of course, uh, what was the very first movie you saw in the theater? I'm trying to remember because, you know, I mean, they have movie theaters in Indiana. Yeah, oh, but yeah. two. But uh but they had they had uh the projectors were powered by mules that they had running a crank. <laughs> and corn. Yeah. Corn, yeah. Corn and so powered. Yeah, it was all it was corn powered. Um so they just held corn in front of the mule's <laughs> yeah. face. Yeah, to get him to to get him yeah, to power around, the yeah. projector. So sometimes when the mules got tired, the movie would stop. But uh <laughs> um and you just beat the mules with the corn. Yeah, yeah, and but it's yeah. It's yeah. Indiana, you beat mules. Real too. Um, but uh <laughs> I'm because uh like when I was really so this is like like when I'm like probably like three or you know three or four, um I have vague recollections of whatever and I don't, I'm not sure which one it is but whatever uh Pink Panther movie uh-huh. was out you know in the in the early seventies because uh, I remember very very specifically uh, uh, Inspector Clouseau. I don't remember the movie or anything about it. I just remember seeing him, Peter Sellers, doing like really silly shit in a trench coat. I thought that was Steve Martin. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did someone else. Do it it's yeah. a little before yeah. your time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you were born in what? Eighty yeah, eight. Uh, I mean. Yeah. I mean. Yes. It, it, given Steve Martin did the definitive Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's weird that we bring up someone else's version. I know it seems sacrilegious. Yeah, it's yeah, it was almost like a, a retro remake of uh, the Steve yeah. Martin pictures. A pre-make. Yeah. It's like someone got a someone saw the genius that Steve Martin was doing. Got yeah. a time machine yeah. right. back, back and, and did a and crappy. Fact, yeah, I have a time machine, and what I want to use it for. <laughs> Is to go back and mm. make something before someone it's else made it. It's a pre-boot. <laughs> a pre-boot. <laughs> But so yeah, I mean those the, the, those are kind of like the like vague jumbled memories, and it's mostly just Peter Sellers being fucking ridiculously silly and and loving that. But but it's probably like you know one of the the earliest movies that you know I have the full kind of experiences is Star Wars. And okay, that's, 
you know, at five years old, that's that's something that just sticks in your head. And through your uh, formative years, what what movies did you latch on to? Um, obviously, Star Wars because you were prob- what you, you well, were like five. five. Yeah, because yeah. it was seventy seven, so I'd have been you know I'd have been uh, five years old um, okay. when that came out. So that was um, so yeah. I mean, definitely, it was like you know, I mean, always the Star Wars movies and uh, and. You know, that, that type of like science fiction adventure, action adventures, the stuff that I always loved as a kid. So, you know, when I went from, you know, from Star Wars and going to Indiana Jones, that was kind of like, you know, the next big, cause, cause, you know, when I was, I was too young to see Jaws in the theater. Mm-hmm. So that was not like, uh, something that, you know, I saw, I saw later when I was older. Um, but, uh, you know, so, you know, going from Star Wars and then, uh, Close Encounters, mm-hmm. third kind is also like a huge, childhood movie going experience and very specifically to the uh like the really shitty uh theaters in the in the crappy mall uh back in bloomington that you know even in the 70s when they were just old and covered in gum and creaky and uh and very very uncomfortable and movie the movie theaters like that for many years until uh, they built the fancy new theaters which Mm -hmm. really Upset the balance. Uh, the the ones with electricity and yeah. not mule yeah. drawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the non mule. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, called the coal fueled. Right. Uh, sure. With the so Steve doors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that and that was hit by an iceberg and sank. But uh, in Indiana, which was weird. That is weird. Yeah, but uh, sank into the cornfields. Yeah, never to be seen again. But. You know, so yeah, Close Encounters. Um, and I was always, like, as a kid, I was always drawn to, you know, science fiction, adventure. Um, what was the first uh, sci-fi movie that really blew your mind, that changed your uh, perception of sci-fi cinema? Um, well, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, 2001 is... is you know, to this day is still probably the finest real science fiction movie. And when did you, and when did you see that? And, you know, I'd seen that, um, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw that. I mean, I was probably, you know, in my teens, um, you know, I was on tape because also it's like when we were getting, you know, into our teens, that's when your video rental stores started Mm. showing up for the first time, which is going to be really confusing to some of our younger readers or listeners. What's a video and what's a store? Yeah. Video. I've, I've tried, I still have VCRs. I try to explain them to my kid and he's like, I don't know. And he just looks at you like you're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I remember very vividly because I, because, you know, where my, you know, uh, uh, childhood home is, it's across, you know, the street from, uh, just, just down a couple streets and then across from, you know, a little shopping mall. Um, and I remember very, very specifically when they put in the first, the first like video rental place showed up there where I could just walk down and rent movies and then bring them home and, and watch them. So that's, um, so that's when, you know, I started watching movies, you know, like 2001, you know, which never seen before, which totally blew my mind on like a, you know, what, like a 19 inch television, yeah. you know, square mm-hmm. television, which, and, uh, and so that kind of got me onto stuff, you know, movies that just, they were so like visually striking and visually rich. So, you know, I started watching a lot of stuff like, you know, David Lean stuff and, uh, like Lawrence of Arabia was always like a huge, uh, favorite movie of mine. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's got a ton of flaws in terms of like, 
casting Alec Guinness as an Arab, but uh, <laughs> which, which is mean? kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but the movie is on the whole is just kind of like this big spectacular um, visual feast is kind of an it's just an, and it's such a rich and amazing movie visually that um, I also remember very vividly just jumping ahead when I was like a band dork in high school on a we were on like a band trip we were like in Atlanta what'd you play trumpet yep um like uh like yourself yep um so uh and uh it was on a band trip and we were in Atlanta and we had like a few hours to kill so you know kids were going off to do shit like yeah we'll go to the mall or you know whatever but what I found was this is the time when a, a print of Lawrence of Arabia had been re-released in the theaters Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Hey, who wants to go see Lawrence of Arabia?" And there's, you know, it's like everyone just is. So then I was just alone, like, <laughs> pretty much immediately after that. You were too dorky for the yeah. band dork. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So I was like, "Well," so I went because I was like, "It's on the big screen," mm-hmm. you know, and I'd never seen so like for the first time, like you know, was this like eighty six or eighty eight or something like that? It was like for the first time, I'm like watching, going, "There's a guy on a camel in that desert." <laughs> Because <laughs> that's back when they made movies for the big screen, right, not right, for right. fucking television. So, right, right. Um, so those those types of visuals, um, typically, it was always really drawn to. Was there uh, anything that was released in the theaters when you were uh, transitioning from childhood to adulthood, uh, from high school to college, thereabouts? You know, uh, that was released at the time that you know blew your mind, as opposed to. Uh, just looking at classics that you hadn't seen in VHS. Um, well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, kind of, uh, difficult to, you know, to, to say now because of how off the deep end Quentin Tarantino has gone in terms of being really self-indulgent, but Pulp Fiction blew me fucking away. Mm -hmm. Um, but that would have been college for you. Well, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's in college. Um, so, you know, but that, I mean, that would, that was definitely huge. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to, to roll back. Um, I mean, basically what, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, was there a movie for you that sort of defined your own personal coming of age experience? Not necessarily a coming of age movie, but a movie that awakened you into, you know, an adulthood sort hmm. of thing, like something that you didn't, you know, up to that point you didn't think you know you'd never thought this way and then you know well it's funny because it's weird because like when i was going like into junior high and going into high school i was actually a lot more about kind of just like uh action adventure sci-fi kind of escape escapism kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and i you know so a lot of that kind of like you know kind of like awakening kind of stuff i'd already looked at a few years earlier and I was still watching movies like that, but it was like, so, but it's, you know, it's like the, you know, the, you know, the Kubrick movies and the, and the lean stuff is, is really bef- just before I got into high school is when I saw that kind of thing. And, and then, and then Hitchcock too. That was also like, mm. I, I'm trying to remember, it was also around the same eighties time was when rear window was re-released into theaters. Mm-hmm. And I saw that in the theater and right. that scared the living shit out of me when Raymond Burr, looks at spoiler alert for rear window, but uh, Raymond Burr does it. And he looks at straight at you because he's going to kill you because you're Jimmy Stewart. I mean, that, yeah. that kind of, that kind of, um, uh, uh, craftsmanship was something that, 
I, at the time, wasn't really seeing in a lot of the mainstream movies I was going to. But when I was renting stuff like Hitchcock stuff, you know, I was like, oh, you know, or, you know, Orson Welles stuff, you know, Citizen, I mean, going back to Citizen Kane, I mean, that's a cliche movie now, but it's a fucking playbook for how movies are made now. Mm-hmm. So you thought Rear Window is better than Stakeout? Just a little bit, but okay. not as good as another Stakeout. Right, right. Oh, well, that's... <laughs> well, because yeah. it had Rosie O'Donnell and all those and they, great well, and they mustache worked, bits. They worked out the kinks for yeah, the second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah, totally worked out the kinks. Bits. Now, okay, let me ask you this. So you, you, um, you got here, um, your, your day job while doing theater was uh, you got into the video game Business. Well, even before that, though, I for like when I first got out here, you know, I did a bunch of just like the general like, you know, like PA shit work on, mm-hmm. you know, commercials and, and some movies and stuff. And um, so, you know, I got kind of a, a you know, uh, was able to kind of like, oh, this is how it's done. This is how things are made. And this is how, you know, what a terrible job being a PA in one of these things is. And I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <Good> uh, <there. laughs> yeah. But uh, so, you know, I I think I did that. I'm trying to, I think I did that for about a year. Mm-hmm. Probably just, you know, job to job like that. And then um, I was for several years after that, I w- worked as a stage manager in the uh, Universal Studios Hollywood theme park. Oh. And that was a lot of fun. You got any uh, war stories about working at Universal? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, well, the first thing you need to know about any theme park is that it is a death trap. <laughs> it, it is. You mean like you would never go no, as a visitor? No, it's they're immensely dangerous oh and and like <laughs> underfunded, under maintenanced. Right, right, um, right. And so they, like, there's it, it's you know yeah, it's, it's amazing. The uh, fact that there aren't more deaths every yeah, year is kind, uh, kind as of a amazing. result of the. Nice. Uh, and so you know what I did, I worked on a few of the different shows, and you know the Universal Park's a little different because it doesn't have as many rides; it's mostly more shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yet those somehow are still amazingly dangerous Waterworld is incredible Waterworld yeah that's that one it will kill you if something goes wrong but at the same I mean and you can feel that and that's why it's awesome yeah but uh, yeah because Waterworld was the yeah I think I probably had the most fun on Waterworld because that show kind of gave you when you're working it backstage it kind of gave you an adrenaline rush because it was really dangerous (laughs) 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 Uh, especially in one of the stage manager positions, which is in kind of the middle of the center of the set, which is the center of the set is a big tower in the back. And in the middle of that is where one of the stage managers sits and enables things that explode. And if you don't have your fingers on the button, they don't explode. Um, And so, but that station is right next to the launcher for the plane that comes flying the like the climax yeah, of the, the show is the is the seaplane they, they the it water, lands, yeah. launches over the wall the back right wall and lands yeah, in the, the water front row, yeah. it only that plane only goes like it only actually launches maybe twenty percent of the time mm. because, and I've seen it twice in yeah, my lifetime yeah which I is feel very amazing lucky. yeah because because the show first off is on is it like at the top of the the park uh-huh. which is built on a giant hill so there's lots of wind up at the top. 
Uh-huh. So there's wind sensors that that are that are all constantly if monitoring. It, if, if the wind blows the plane at all, it'll, it'll blow the plane into, into the audience. audience yeah. yeah. So so not only do you have to have hands on, multiple people have to have their hands on the buttons to say, okay, the plane can go. There's also a wind monitor that if the wind monitor goes, now the wind's a little too fast, it just won't go. Wow. Um, but if it does go, then it sets off all these pyrotechnics that you know send these huge flames flying out that the plane flies through, and Half the time, those flames then curl and fly straight into the stage manager's booth. But, oh, you, but you have to have your finger on the button oh, so it all no. works. So, so when that happens, you kind of have to Duh. hide under the table and keep your finger <laughs> on the <table. laughs> like, well, That seems like a small design <laughs> <It's> flaw. <clears throat> so do you have any uh, celebrity encounters at uh, Universal? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, two things. One really quick. And this, these were both took place in one of the other venues I worked in, which was... Uh, the venue that housed the now defunct Beetlejuice's Rockin' Graveyard Review Show, <laughs> which was a show where Beetlejuice, um, flanked by all of the Universal monsters, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not completely defunct. Like, I was there and they did an out- outdoor Oh, it's, oh it went to outdoor. Version. That's sad because they used to have their own indoor show and uh, – and they would all have their own musical numbers where uh, they would sing uh, rock and roll songs, classic rock and roll songs that had been uh, rewritten to fit the monsters. So, for example, oh Dracula would sing a version of a monsterized version of Hot Blooded. <laughs> and and it was delightful. We all know there's nothing better than a Beetlejuice impersonator. <laughs> it's just it's so bad because Michael Keaton is so... Uh, it's so specific. Perfect, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So um, but we at two times. Um, well, the first one is a non-celebrity uh, encounter because that was at a time when the the old Rosie O'Donnell show uh-huh. came out to the to the West Coast to do their shows, and they did them for a week in that venue. And so the park decided they needed a stage manager. They were twenty four seven. So I did a week of a night shift. At uh, in this empty venue where no one ever would go in to steal anything because there's nothing to steal, uh, and so I just slept for a week, <laughs> um, and that that made me feel <laughs> nice. pretty good. Well, that's uh, that good. Was, it's you not a good story. Your, you but need your I sleep. Like uh, but I, uh, they, no, people, you'd be surprised. People love stories about. People uh, they gave sleeping. me. Uh, they gave me a Rosie O'Donnell show hat uh, for my efforts. Oh, that's nice. That's uh, but uh, the the other thing they did, and this is back. Uh, this might have been the last Jean Claude Van Damme movie that opened theatrically. Because it was uh, the one he did with Roger the Quest. Moore, The Quest, yeah, and they did the premiere. Yeah. Well, JCVD had a limited. Oh well, yeah, yeah, but the last big, you the know, big back in his heyday. But they did, but they did the uh, the premiere at Universal Studios Hollywood, the big movie theaters they they all built there as well in the on the promenade, uh, and but they were doing this big event that they we're doing in the show in the show venue and then Van Damme and Roger Moore and the other cast people were going to go out and then Van Damme, they had an elephant and a big that he was rode to the theater. It was fucking stupid. Oh it was God. stupid. And it, it and was a, a bunch of confused yeah, tourists standing yeah. around going, what the it, hell? A confused elephant. Yeah. Uh, a confused and clearly probably abused elephant. Yeah. Um, but, but the, in this venue, and this is, this is a trashy, crappy venue. And it had a the backstage was junk. It had holes in the drywall, and it was a crap like a crappy old theater. It had one communal dressing room for the whole cast mm. um, when when they would work there. 
And so, you know, Roger Moore showed up and, uh, is, is, he is as kind of like smooth and gracious as he is as James Bond oh, well. in, in real life. I mean, he's, he was immensely nice mm-hmm. and cool and not a dick. He's, you know, Wow. Shook hands, said hello to everybody, was cool, and was then went upstairs As just to hang out. As movie stars should be. Yes. And then and then Jean Claude Van Damme showed up with his fucking entourage, like which is a fucking posse of people, and they yeah. went upstairs. I saw them when I worked at the Monty Sugar Free Bakery and Gift Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> but they went upstairs, and like two minutes later, Roger Moore just came down and sat on this dirty couch. That was oh backstage my god! Because he got thrown out. They threw, Claude, they threw out Roger Moore. They threw out Roger Van Dam. Threw out Roger Moore because Van Dam wanted his own dressing room. And there, there's only one. Dicky. And Moore just kept out, and then was and then was still fucking charming and gracious. Uh. wasn't wasn't pissed. Didn't you know? wasn't throw a fit or anything. And people were walking, going James Bond. He's, <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, awesome. he was the nicest fucking guy in the world. Well, and Van Dam was a. That's dick. refreshing to hear, actually. Van Dam was the dick on the elephant. Well, that that's not surprising. Um, I still don't want. So, to and then you and then you moved no. into video games, and you 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 met a lot of filmmakers because you were doing uh, video games with with uh, developing video games out of movies, potentially in some cases that didn't that you yeah. didn't do. But ta- you met John Carpenter. Who's oh, one of I my did. Heroes. Yeah, yeah. How was that guy? That. John John Carpenter is as delightfully cranky as you would think. He was was kind of amazing. So the first thing he did um, when he got into the studio was spill his coffee on a rug. Um, Total accident. And the first thing I said after it was all over, I said, we got to we got to cut up this piece of the rug and like put it in like a box and put it in like our display case in the lobby <laughs> and just label it John Carpenter's coffee stain. Yay. And nobody took me. Nobody thought that they was a good idea. That, uh, so, that would have been yeah. that. How amazing would that have been? Yeah. You should, um, that's or would sucks. it be John Carpenter's? John, John Carpenter's, John Carpenter's, John Carpenter's yeah. coffee stain. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and what was great about that pitch was, that, and this is for a, uh, you know, this is for a movie years ago that never got made that was, you know, he was out in production, some serial killer thing. Um, and, uh, but we were sitting in this pitch meeting and, you know, he got, he was all immediately just kind of cranky and mad and upset that he had to be here um, for this video game pitch. And we, and we started explaining to him, you know, oh, this, we could do this, we could do that. And you know, said, yeah, I just want to know, you know, what you guys are thinking. So I can, you know, make sure that that happens in the movie. Because, you know, we got to have that happen in the movie. And those of us doing the pitch, the couples doing the pitch, were like, well, no, you don't. We don't have to make the game exactly like the movie. We could do something that's similar or parallel or find a good common ground that, you know, because, you know, we don't believe the movie should be the game. The game should be the movie. And he like lit up at that point and then looked at his people that he was with angrily <laughs> because clearly they they've been telling him. No, you got to make sure everything's exactly, exactly the same. The same. It's, like, yeah. it's like these guys are telling me you don't have we don't have to do that. Why am I here? <laughs> Oh, and he immediately man. got like warm. He was still cranky, but he got then he got interested in what was going on. <laughs> nice. it was, it was That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> All right, now we're getting into the hard hitting stuff. If you could change one thing about modern cinema, what would it be and why? Mm, one thing, only one thing about modern cinema. Steve Fox, what, what was the thing that you wanted to change? Uh, more original material. You couldn't make anything. Oh, uh, right. He, he, he like cut out remakes. Cut and, out remakes. Yeah, remakes, all remakes, reboots. Remakes, no, yeah, reboots. You know, you, adaptations. I mean, one, if I could change one thing, it would be, um, 
I mean, I, I, I won't be as a harsh and say no CGI ever again, but I, I want, I want more, pra- I want practical effects back. Yeah. I want, I want, I, you know, okay, this is, this is what I would do. This is no, uh, pure CGI sets. Oh, nice. I love it. That's what I would say. That's what about pure CGI creatures, scene designers, and uh, carpenters? Well, the but it's but it's like you know it's a difference between like okay, I, I you can I can see you can build you know part of a set and then extend it with CGI. That works for me. Yeah, um, they actually did re- they did a really good job with a lot of that in uh, uh, the Game of Thrones. Um, they did a uh, extending, yeah, extending existing stuff. Bordock Empire is a lot. Oh, a lot yeah, of I've, that, I've seen, but yeah, but it mm-hmm. looks so. So that that I like, but when it's like this pure, like everything against a green screen, where actors have nothing to focus on in their physical Sky space. Captain and the Paltrow of tomorrow. <laughs> does, does, this, um, <laughs> does this also the rule apply to CGI creatures that are pure CGI versus? No, uh, no, because uh, no, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm thinking more purely environment because I'm thinking, you know, more from a actor perspective because you can tell when an actor is looking around in when they're they they're just in a room when there's nothing there mm-hmm. that's true and as opposed to where they've got something grounded that they can that they can latch onto mm-hmm. and focus on actually yeah you know portraying an experience in it's like the mocap in like uh uh rise of the planet of the apes was great those creatures yeah that stuff's good but it's but it's also it's you know that mocap, all, most of that was done clearly where there were sets <clears throat> with other actors and the actors' performances. Yeah, well, they have yeah. an environment that they're that they're rooted in, right, so you can put some effect mm-hmm. in and have it work. But if it's all, you know, if it's all it's just a cartoon nothing there, a movie. Mm-hmm. it's you're just walking around and nothing, and you know that's that's not how you're supp- that's not how actors are supposed to function. I agree, hundred uh, percent. If you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Uh, 2001. 2001? Yeah. All right. For the laughs. Yeah, no, yeah. It's nonstop hilarity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, why? Just because it's, uh, well, I mean, stood the test of time. Yeah, I mean, mean, there's fiction. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a a lot of levels. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it stands the test of time as, as a science fiction movie. It stands the test of time as a movie about what it, what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. Um, is kind of a core element of what that movie is. It stands the test of time as uh, the craft of a director assembling a film. Mm-hmm. It stands the test of time as uh, just the, from the pure uh, uh, craft of uh, uh, set design, costume design, special effects, um, just the technology. I mean, this is this is all stuff that you know you know, Kubrick did and built and invented before Star Wars. You know, Lucas's genius was going, wait a second, we shouldn't have to do this every time we make a movie. We should have a studio that does these effects. Mm-hmm. He didn't invent a lot of that stuff. A lot of that stuff, you know, was already there. And Kubrick had done a lot of weird stuff on his own that in, in special effects that, you know, is still better like than CGI in, today. How do you do that infinite jogging track? Was that a rotating set? No, that was a rotating set. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was a giant rotating set. Jesus. And again, that's what I'm saying. No CGI. That's a fucking set, amazing. and it looks, feels real. Oh, yeah. It is amazing. You it know, is. So, so there's so there's so much there. It's like, and I understand people are like oh, it's boring, but yeah, it's it's not a movie that is. It's a movie that demands your focus. So you, it's you know, it's not you know. 
it, it requires work. That movie requires work. Okay. On the part of the audience. Um, and as I asked uh, Steve Falk last time, how often do you find yourself at odds with being a creative person um, who writes and acts and directs and edits things and you know you're you're you build things as well as being a film pig where you uh, sort of tear them down or deconstruct them at least um what do you find yourself at odds uh with those two uh beings that are are you not i mean not a lot because you know i do try and give you know i, I do believe in credit where it's due so you know i'm not I'm not somebody who, well, I mean, hopefully, I'm not somebody who is going to decide, you know, well, this person or this, you know, group or whatever has been doing shit for so long that they're never going to be good again. And no matter what they do, I'm going to hate it. Um, or the opposite, uh, that somebody's done something that I've loved so much that I'm, you know, never going to see the flaws in what they're doing. You know, I, I like to think I'm a pretty decent critic of uh looking at kind of the craft of what's gone into a piece of work whether it's a film or whatever and you know when you know not necessarily we're doing film pigs because you know a lot of that is we're doing for entertainment and you know half the half the time we are making jokes and we are trying to make make a fun point and a silly point um but you know and i'm thinking just critically to myself I, i like to think that you're fair and balanced. I like to think I like to think I'm like Fox News. Okay, so you're Fox. You're the yeah. Fox News of yeah. the film picks. Yeah, I, I, I think you're that's like accurate. kind of I'm, I'm MSNBC. You're yeah. CNN. I'm obviously. CNN. Yeah, obviously, I don't really have an opinion. Uh, He's like Wolf Blitzer. Yeah. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Well, can I be Al Jazeera actually? <laughs> now, um, as I said, you write and you act and you direct and you cut. And uh, uh, Andrew Barth. Uh, who I don't know if you guys know him, but he manages uh, the theaters uh, at Cal State. I've heard Los of him. Angeles. Yeah, I've heard of him. Um, he has met you. Um, I don't. He, I don't remember meeting him. And he but. says that you are the funniest person he's ever met. That's really nice. That's really nice um, of him to say. It kind of makes me wish I could say something funny right now. Yeah. Well, what, where okay. do I rank? So where have do I rank? You're second. Who, you're second funniest. And all the people he's met. Yeah, of all the people he's met, you're second funniest. It's oh, not true. I, I haven't got an actual ranking on false. That's so great. Oh, I'm so glad. Why are you no, guys whispering? I'm not whispering. I don't so know. nice. Say, your thanks, house, Andrew, if you're hearing whispers, your house is haunted. So here's my question. I mean, given that you do all these uh, things, yeah. Um, if you know someone was giving you, uh, you know, two hundred thousand dollar a year salary to either to either act or write or direct or edit or produce which of those jobs would you take can i just have the money you mean to not do anything yeah i mean that's is that but that's not i mean if you want right. um i am i guess i probably should do something uh i mean i guess what i'm asking is what what, it, what like of those multiple hats that you tend to wear which one do you, do you find most creatively compelling I mean, probably ultimately writing mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I mean, the selfish reason is then, you know, you can put something together um, the way you like it before, you know, it, it goes through the inevitable changes and, uh, you know. Well, you could be like the next Joe Esterhaus and say, fire off. This is, this is what you get. 
Yeah, I really like to be Joe Esterhaus. Um, I would. Well, He's yeah, got a lot was, of money. Yeah, that's true. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, all yeah, if you only do one thing, it's probably it's probably uh, uh, right because I mean, because that's also kind of the, you know, where things start. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, you know, I, I, I guess I, I like being responsible. I'm a hundred percent responsible. And if you're just acting or doing something, you've been given a script. You know, you're not necessarily 100 percent responsible. You can for, blame somebody else. Yeah, there's always there's always somewhere to land. It's it's nice to know. It's like if something succeeds, you know, it's like you, it, there's there's the root of that is is, is part right. of your success, and, as blueprint. well as the failure. Right. I hear that. Uh, that's the that's the hard hitting pig six. We've come to the end. Of, but I'm, I do have a bonus. I'm question. I'm in tears. I have a bonus question. You ready? I'm ready. Which two hotel movie stars, for dogs? Which two movie stars? <laughs> <laughs> I like that you did a callback to the two last different podcast. podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which two movie stars? And and I and I don't. This isn't one of those living or dead. It's present movie stars and how they exist now, what they are now. Okay. Like you can't go Robert De Niro in his heyday. Uh, uh, okay. okay. You know, it's which two movie stars would you like to have a three way with? Here's the side note. Okay. It's male, male, female. Not oh, male. So it's the weird one. It's yeah, the weird, weird three-way. It's yeah. you okay. and it. Um, and it okay. Uh, okay. Um, uh, oh, shit. I can't remember her name. Um, uh, I, if it's male, male, three-way, I would say uh, uh, Gary Oldman. And, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, damn it. I'm, I'm blanking on her name right now. Um, Kate Blanchett. Not Kate Blanchett. It's Halle uh, Berry. Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, uh, Rupert Everett. No. Kristen uh, Wiig. No, you're not. Kristen this Johnson. isn't helping. It's uh, Jane uh, from Deadwood. Uh, Hope Solo. Uh, Which one from Deadwood? Uh, Calamity Jane. Calamity Jane. Yeah. What's her name? I can't remember her name. Robin Weigert. Robin Weigert. But as Calamity Jane. Robin Weigert and Gary Oldman. Yeah. You've picked yourself one hell of a rough threesome. Hey, I burned my snack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's you know. If, if I gotta go that way, then that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's where yeah. we're going. All right, well, thank you, Steve Skelton. Thank you. I, I feel uh, like everybody knows you and can be, uh, you know, understand where you're coming from and your opinions. Robin and Gary Coleman. Thanks for listening to this very special interview edition of The Film Pigs. Just a final note, if you, uh, as a listener, want to ask Steve Skelton some questions, uh, put them up on our website. We, uh, when we compile six other great questions, we will have a follow-up interview with Steve Scott. Do it. <laughs> <laughs>